Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight, boy, do we have a great show in store for you. I'm going to get a return visit from a couple of guys who make the golf world better just because they're a part of it. And first up is going to be actor-turned-host of uh, Talking Golf Getaways, Mitchell Lawrence. You know, one of the many blessings that 2017 has brought to me at the top of that list is getting to know Mitch and his brother Matthew, who joined me last week, oh, by the way. Both guys have been on the show multiple times this year. So not only do I appreciate their time and the great stories that they've shared, but I also appreciate the tremendous impact that they both have on the game of golf, whether it's through the many celebrity charity events that they've played in or the golf shows that they host. And Mitch, like I say, has a fantastic one, again, called Talking Golf Getaways, which is available out on Audio Boom, or you can go to thegolfnewsnet.com to find it as well. But even if you put all of that aside, Mitch and Matthew are just tremendous people. Mitch has been a great support for me this year and helped me with things that we are trying to do, which I'm very grateful for. But I'm also just very grateful for his friendship and look forward to talking with him again here in just a few minutes. Following Mitch, I'm going to get a return visit from one of Golf Magazine's top 100 instructors, and that is Brady Riggs. Brady was uh, also the Southern California PGA Teacher of the Year last year, and he was just inducted into the Southern California Teaching Hall of Fame just a few weeks ago, so we'll talk about that. I'll also talk with Brady about you know how to improve our grip on the putter, right? That's something we don't talk enough about here is you know really getting into putting and, and better ways for us to sink more putts. We'll also talk about chipping with the eight iron instead of the sandwich when you're right around the green and Brady studied uh, kinesiology when he was in college so we'll talk about the science of human and non-human motion and how he brings that into how he teaches the golf swing. Brady is going to be along with me here about oh maybe 30 minutes or so from now. So more great stories and tips coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they have coming up this fall and winter. Fall golf is gorgeous at French Lick Resort. Perched on one of the highest points in Indiana, the Pete Dye course hosted the first ever senior LPGA championship this summer. Ask the ladies, the views are spectacular. The venerable Donald Ross course is looking better than ever as it celebrates its centennial. Go to FrenchLick.com and save with our Hall of Fame package. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort this fall. Yeah, folks, be, be sure to check them out online by going to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great a place it is and to book your stay as well. And folks, have you heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last few months? Well, if you haven't, listen up and get ready to discover the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make over on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that you can go on the course with. I have Clubhub sensors on all of my clubs that screw right into the tops of your grips, and I can tell you folks, since I have put Clubhub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. But before you go out and buy your own set, our friends at Kinetic Sports have a special discount for our listeners. You can get any Clubhub product for 10% off by entering the word NEXT. That's N-E-X-T as your coupon code and get Clubhub sensors for a stellar low price. Head to clubhubgolf.com. Again, clubhubgolf.com to get your Clubhub sensors today and see your game in a whole new way. 
We are also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. The Ben Hogan Golf Company, they are back with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. Now you can buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, and bags directly from the factory at prices that your wallet's going to appreciate. Visit them online at BenHoganGolf.com or give them a call to order at 844-53-HOGAN. Again, 844-53-HOGAN. And please also go and check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. Their new fall collection is out. It's time to update your wardrobe with enduring style from the Bobby Jones Apparel Company. See it all online by going again to bobbyjones.com. And folks, you you know, we're partnering with Russ Holden and the folks over at Caddy for a Cure. And one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you now through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fancona anemia. You're going to get to walk side by side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. And in addition to the amazing experience that you're going to have they got a fantastic gift package for you as well which includes under armor logo apparel an eyewear package a tour grade caddy bib which is suitable for autographs and framing a 10 cup ball marking gift chef's cut real jerky and professional photographs from your day again go online to see all of this information and what a great organization that it is by going to caddyforacure.com to learn more all right, folks, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Mitchell Lawrence. And like I said, one of the many great things that I am thankful for this year as you know, we look ahead to Thanksgiving is the friendship that I've been blessed to develop with Mitch and his brother Matthew this year. They've become two of my favorite all-time people, not only as guests on the show, but just for as people, as a matter of fact. And let me remind you a little bit about Mitchell's background. He's an actor-turned-golf show host. You've seen Mitch in shows and movies like Santa Barbara, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, One Tree Hill, which my family has been binge-watching now, Dawson's Creek, From the Earth to the Moon, one of my all-time favorite miniseries that was out on HBO. He's been in in Matlock, In the Heat of the Night, In Living Color, Dragnet, MacGyver, Night Court. I could go on and on and on about all the great things that Matthew has done as an actor. He's now co-hosting a fantastic golf podcast called Talking Golf Getaways with Mitch and Darren, which I highly recommend all our listeners go please go check it out by going to thegolfnewsnet.com or over on audio boom as well and i am thrilled that mitch is back with me again tonight here on next on the t good evening mitch thanks for coming back on the show my friend hi chris it's uh obviously it's a pleasure to be back on again and thanks for all the kind words you're you are always so beyond kind that it, it kind of blows me away i'm really happy to be here thanks I appreciate that. Thank you, Mitchell. So, Mitch, before we talk golf, and, and you know I had you know, your brother Matthew on the show last week, and he and I, we talked about what led up to his decision to leave L.A. and leave acting behind and move on to, you know, what he's doing now in radio. I'm curious, what did it for you? What made you say to acting in L.A., you know what, I'm done? Um, I think it was a combination of things. I had been there for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, had been really successful, done a lot of work. Uh, when I moved there in 1980 from New York, it was a paradise to me. I loved the the fact that you could drive a car everywhere. I loved the trees. I loved being out in the open air as opposed to Manhattan, uh, where I'd lived for the five years before I went out. And uh, But as time went on and I kind of got further into the career in LA life by the early 90s, uh, that had turned around. I was 
getting tired of the process of acting, of uh, auditioning, of driving around everywhere for the auditions and traffic and smog. You know, when you don't, when you're not really into being anywhere, I don't care what business you're in. The the things that you're not crazy about start to be ma- they're magnified, and then you you kind of get to a place where you realize it's time for a different chapter and a change. And um, I kind of owe the move to golf. Um, I had started playing. I never picked up a club before 1980 when I went out to L.A. Started playing, as you know, got heavily involved all during the 80s and um, the early 90s when I was in L.A. And during the course of that time, I was really fortunate enough to be able to play in a lot of celebrity charity events around the country. And I had started to, in probably 82 or 83, play in a number of events in the Carolinas where I had never been before. And I slowly started falling in love with the Carolinas. Uh, growing up in New York, it wasn't ever on my radar, but certainly the more I played there, the more I liked it. Um, and I made a number of friends uh, one in particular in the Charlotte area through these golf tournaments. And when I started kind of thinking about moving, uh, he said to me one day, why don't you just come to Charlotte? Uh, I'm on the road a lot. He was in a business where he was gone a lot. He said, you can just stay at my house, see if you like it. And if you don't, you can go back. And so I decided to give it a try. Uh, I moved to Charlotte. I had an acting agent uh, in Charlotte by the time I got there. They were doing a lot of filming in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, as it turned out, I wound up working and acting more in living in Charlotte than I did than most of my friends in L.A. I was doing a lot of work. Matlock moved to Wilmington, and I was doing a lot of TV movies. And so that part of my life, the acting part, continued. But I was able to live and work in a place that I really loved. And um, that's kind of the long, long story of how I got to Myrtle Beach, but that's really what was responsible for the move, and uh, it, was, it was the best move I ever made, I think, for my own well-being. So continue on that journey, Mitch. So how, how did you go from, you're, now you're acting in Charlotte and you're doing those sorts of things, and you, you know, you've been playing the game for a little while. How did that transition into you know, doing the, you know, the show that you do, you do now, Talking Golf Getaways, and really getting you know, into golf, not only playing it, but now being a part of it and doing the podcast that you do? Well, one of the things that started once I moved to Charlotte, I had become friendly with uh, a guy named Paul Himmels back in Myrtle Beach when I moved to uh, Charlotte. I had actually played in a golf tournament at the Dunes Club in Myrtle Beach while I was still living in L.A. And uh, Dunes Club, for those of your listeners that don't know it, is a really iconic golf course. It was built, um, it was a really, really early course in Myrtle Beach, and it was designed by Robert Trent Jones. Um, in the, in the mid 1900s, um, I'm pretty sure it was around 1948. He came down here and he wound up building the Dunes Club. Uh, it's a great, great golf course, but there was a party that night. This event was played at the Dunes Club and I met a guy at the, the party and we wound up talking for three hours. We got to be really good friends as golfers want to do. You're thrown into a connection with people that you never expect. I went back to L.A., and then when I moved to Charlotte, I got back in touch with him, told him I was in Charlotte. and we I came down to Myrtle Beach a lot to see him. And uh, after a while, he called me one day uh, when I had moved down to Myrtle Beach. 
actually kind of on the cusp of moving down here. And he said to me, I'm thinking of purchasing a lease on a 24-hour golf channel in Myrtle Beach. And I want to know if you want to host it. And I thought, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I came down to Myrtle <laughs> Beach. Uh, and I would come down for a week or two at a time. And it started out with he and I going around to these golf courses and doing a segment on a par three. And that show, which was called On the Green, um, kind of took off. And I wound up covering pretty much doing every golf course at the time. It was about 100 golf courses in Myrtle Beach. And slowly, Paul dropped out of that, and I wound up hosting it myself. And uh, that ran for about 20 years. Uh, I moved down to Myrtle Beach in 99 so I could really devote more time to that. Brought my wife Ava and my uh, stepdaughter Nikki, and the three of us came down. And um, over that time, and the golf was obviously becoming a much bigger part of my life, I wound up doing a lot of infomercial hosting and Beyond the Green show. And it was just uh, my, I was acting at the same time, but the golf stuff was really kind of taking off. And then I got to a point where I met other people through the game, uh, one of them being Darren Bunch, who at the time was with Fairways and Greens magazine out west, a very well-known golf magazine, which turned into Golf Getaways magazine. And Darren and I got to be fast friends. And uh, I guess about five years ago here in Myrtle Beach, I started doing my own podcast, much like what you're doing now, where I would just have guests guests on and interview them and over the course of three or four years I got to just through connections I had made on uh, on the celebrity golf circuit um, I got to have really an unbelievable guest list uh, that flipped me out and still flips me out when I look at who I had on and through that kind of transferred to Darren and I deciding we wanted to do a show about golf and travel and to my knowledge, it's still the only podcast, Talking Golf Getaways, which we did, we started a year ago, uh, that's solely devoted to golf and travel and destinations and lifestyle uh, anywhere. I don't know of anybody else who does shows only about that. Obviously, people devote time on other podcasts to talking about a trip here and there. But ours is really only about that. And we've been doing it a year. We just started season two, and that's our 79th episode. And so uh, we've got a lot more coming that way, but that's kind of the short story of how all this came to Talking Golf Getaways. And Mitch, you know, as you mentioned, you're you're kicking off season two, and you're doing it in, in grand style. Now, you and Darren recently talked to Adam Ralston. For folks who aren't aren't familiar with who Adam is, he took a journey called the Longest Hole, which was a a trek that he made across Mongolia. Do you mind sharing some of the highlights of the conversation that you guys had with Adam? <laughs> well, uh, it started uh, months ago because Adam uh, and his good friend and caddy, for want of a better word, Ron Rutland, both of them rugby players, um, and I won't get into that story. We had interviewed Adam halfway across Mongolia. Um, Darren actually met Ron uh, on a golf trip to Northern Ireland, and I think they were at Port Stewart, and Ron who's from South Africa, but now living in Hong Kong, but travels all over the world. And he's got a, a foreign membership to Port Stewart. And he wound up playing with Darren one day. And they were talking, and Darren was telling him what he did. And he said to Adam, what are you doing? And Adam said, well, I was a rugby player, and I did this and that. But we're in preparation, my friend Ron and I, to uh, go across Mongolia 
and I'll be hitting golf balls across Mongolia, and Ron will be pulling a cart with equipment. And Darren kind of looked at him and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> Which is what you and I probably would say right off the bat. Right. And uh, Adam kind of got into it, and, and the, the, the first episode that we did with him was literally from a hotel halfway across Mongolia. And uh, it was fascinating. It was really unbelievable to talk about all the different preparations and what it took to do just to get started and then to deal with the first half of the journey. The ultimate journey was um, about, uh, well, it was 2011 kilometers. Uh, so about, let's say, 1,200 miles. Um, and the first half was a fantastic episode. And then we said, we hope we can have you back when you're done. And the season two episode that we just posted uh, a few days ago is Adam's recap of the second half of the journey, uh, kind of what he took away from it after a month, after it was over for a month and he had a little time to reflect. Um, and I can only say, I told you this um, in a conversation you and I had, of, of all the podcasts that I've done, and there's a few hundred of them now, and we've done, we had done 78 Talking Golf Getaways podcast, but all in all, the 40 minutes that Adam was on that we just opened with might be my, I won't say it's my favorite. I've had a lot of great guests, but I think it was the most moving, inspirational, emotional podcast that I have done. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's for these two guys and their dog. A dog joined them a couple days into the trip, a Mongolian dog, and literally was with them the entire way, followed them the entire way across Mongolia, slept under the cart that Ron was pulling. And the stories about the three of them and the people they met and the villages they were in, and uh, the whole thing is just the greatest golf getaway that I've ever heard of and probably will ever hear of. I don't think anybody will do anything like what Adam and Ron and you be the dog did. And um, I hope people listen to it. It's, it's, it's got golf at its core, but it's about so much more. It's about, it's just a, an amazing life journey. And um, it was a great kickoff to season two of talking golf getaways. I'll tell you that. No <laughs> doubt. What, a, what an amazing yeah. thing that they did. So, yeah. Uh, I can't I can't recommend highly enough to take a listen to what the stories were like and the journey that they went through. And, yeah, Mitch, and I might add because you know, I noticed at the beginning of the show, Chris, that you're very tied into the charity aspect of what you do and giving back. Um, and part of what Adam and Ron did was that this walk raised money for something called the Laureus uh, Foundation, which is in South Africa, and it's uh, Laureus, the Foundation for Sport and Good. Um, and also the South African Golf Development Board. And uh, along the way, they brought a lot of attention to those two great uh, charities, too. So there was that element to it, too. I just wanted to throw that in. No, no, that's fantastic. Good for you. Thanks for doing that. So I, I wanted to continue on with what you're doing, you know, with the with season two. I was listening the other day, and uh, you, you and Darren were talking to Sean Ogle, who was uh, of Breaking80.com. And the first topic... Mm -hmm. Darren brought up, and you're a proponent of this, speaking of the dog taking this journey, is the idea that we should all be able to bring our dogs or the animal of your choice out on the golf course with us, like they do at St. Andrews. So I was curious, as you mentioned, the dogs you know, coming apart, being, becoming a part of that journey, to get your thoughts on animals out on the golf course. 
Well, uh, uh, when you say the animal of your choice, that may be taking it a step too far. <laughs> because there's some crazy people and there's some crazy animals, and I'm not always sure that would be fun on the golf course. But that being said, um, dogs have somehow they played a part in my life in golf. Um, the the biggest example of that being my wife and I being in Charlotte, living there, going out to play golf one day, um, and playing at a place called Charlotte Golf Links on a Thursday afternoon. And playing six holes, and I was playing great, and we got to the seventh tee, an uphill par three, and there were kind of some reeds around the outside of the tee, and we got up to the tee, and there was this small red dog standing on the tee, looked like kind of a mix between a dachshund and a fox. And he basically followed us. He jumped in our golf cart with us, where Ava and I are both dog people from the beginning of our time. And uh, he jumped in the cart. We played a couple holes. A couple of magical things happened in those two holes. And then we got to the ninth hole, which was an uphill par three. Uh, I pulled out a six iron, a five iron. It was about a 170-yard shot uphill. I pulled out a five iron. I hit it, kind of turned to Ava, and I went, that's in the hole. And she laughed, and uh, she hit her shot, and we got in the cart. And by now, the dog was sleeping in the golf cart with us. And we got up to the green, and I stayed there, and Ava said, uh, aren't you coming up? And I said, no, the ball's in the hole. And she said to me, you think so? And I said, honey, if the ball's in the hole, we're keeping the dog. And, of course, she went up to the green, and the ball was in the hole. And it's the only hole-in-one I've had wow. in 37 years of playing golf. So we called the dog Ace, and we had him for years. So I've always kind of been tied to that. Um, there's been numerous other examples of, dogs being on golf courses my wife uh, as you know but your listeners might not is swedish and we go back to sweden all the time and whenever we play golf in sweden there are dogs on the golf course they're always on a leash nobody rides carts everybody's walking the dog will be tied uh, by a leash to the golf the push cart but they're all over the place and to me it's it's one of the great things as you mentioned st andrews uh scotland is very welcoming to dogs on the course our good friend Rue McDonald Rue McDonald who's from Scottish Golf Podcast has a fantastic dog named Mac he just got a second one too uh, and I've been out on the golf course with Rue and Mac and I just think it adds something you know we're always talking about growing the game it's always an issue that we all talk about and I for one would love to see us get more into opening that part of the game up to where we look at it as being out and walking in the park. I'm not talking about dogs running wild and interrupting games, but if it's the kind of dog that can handle it and that people have a connection with, then uh, I'm all for it. I think it would add something that we don't have here in this country. And I think it could be a great, I know it's a great boon to those of us who love our animals, uh, but I think it would be really cool for the game too and open it up in a way that that we seem to be close to, which really, to me, is sad. Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic idea. And you're right. It uh, it, it certainly brings a, a different aspect into the game of golf. And I think it I think it just makes the game feel warmer. If you can, you know, yeah. involve more people, involve the anime, it just, it just seems like a great idea. I hope, hope someone listens or we can, po you know, post that stuff out on social media and <laughs> see if we can't get at least some of the municipal courses to allow us to start doing that sort of thing i think it's fantastic yeah, yeah i'm with you i'll help in any way i can <laughs> and mitch 
You were recently over in Pinehurst, and I'm as jealous as I could possibly be because of some of the pictures and the things that uh, you were talking about over social media about your trip over there. Do you mind talking about some of the things you got to experience while you were over there? No, absolutely. I mean, I love it. You know, I'm fortunate, and you're not that far away either. You can make the trip, but I'm fortunate. It's about two hours and 15 minutes. So obviously, I've been in Pinehurst a lot. I played most of the courses there. Um, loving golf history the way I do and being a Hickory player, I I connect with Pinehurst in a deep way. Um, and the last trip we took, uh, Darren and I have both gotten to be big fans of a course called Tobacco Road, which is just outside the village of Pinehurst, but uh, was designed by one of our favorite architects, Mike Strand. And it's a course unlike any other that you'll find. It's very hard to describe it. Words don't do it justice, but it's a it's a big, uh, big golf course, incredibly visual. Uh, Mike Strands was an artist at heart, and he took this course in the sand hills and in quarry land, and it's just, it's unlike anything people have played. So Darren and I love going, and this time we managed to go, and Mark Stewart, who's the uh, one of the two owners of Tobacco Road, is a friend. And on the 14th hole um, of Tobacco Road, it's a downhill par three over a lake, beautiful spot. Um, and there is a kind of a cabin behind the green that for years was used by the family as a storage facility and just kind of a, just a cabin. Nobody really had lived there for a while. And recently Mark um, decided to make it into a lodging for four people. And so Darren and my wife, Ava, and a friend of Darren's, Joe Sass, who's from Dallas, he's an air traffic controller, and the four of us went and we got to uh, stay at the cabin behind the 14th Green at Tobacco Road. And uh, it's a phenomenal place. It is uh, the experience of being there. We've all gone to great destinations where they have incredible accommodations. But the Stewart Cabin, as it is called, um, is unlike anything I've ever been able to do, because at five o'clock, you, whoever's staying in that cabin literally has the run of the golf course. There's nobody else out there. Um, so you wow. get to stay there. You get to hang at night. They have a floodlight on the side of the house that lights up the green. Uh, we had putting contests at night. We hit shots from the tee onto the lit green. Just by the light of our cell phone, we would tee the ball up. And um, obviously there were, a few libations involved and uh, we just we <laughs> laughed and had fun and all the things that you love to do when you're around the game of golf. Then you wake up in the morning and at first light you go out and there's the green and you just go outside and you hang by the lake. And we each kind of experienced it in our own way. It was interesting. We would go sort of one by one. We'd kind of take 10, 15 minutes and go out, putt, chip, stand there, look at the lake, sit down, you know, whatever. And that's how you started your day. And it's a fantastic place. It's a great opportunity. Um, you can stay there and then play the other courses in the Pinehurst area. So we got to do that. We also got to go over to Pinehurst proper at the resort. And uh, we didn't play it because it, it was a couple days from opening. But we got to walk around and kind of experience the cradle, which is Gil Hans's short nine-hole course that they just opened right next to the clubhouse at the resort. And that is a fantastic, we talk about fun and opening the game up. This is one way to do it. And Gil Hans, who I know you know, and your listeners may, um, is 
kind of the architect of the moment, in addition to all the great architects we have. But Gil is the guy who designed the Olympic course in Rio and uh, Streamsong Black, which I was at last week, um, and just has done a ton of other work. But Gil designed this nine-hole short course, and everything, it goes from 56 yards to 120 yards, the nine holes. Uh, you can play barefoot. Um, kids play for free. It's It's a fantastic spot. So we got to experience that, and it was just kind of a new wrinkle to the Pinehurst experience, and I think everybody's really going to enjoy it. It's going to give Pinehurst a whole different mindset, which, as Gilhan said, is about fun. That's all he was interested in was creating a what he called the fun center of Pinehurst. So we got to do that. We actually um, talk about the Stewart Cabin, one of the upcoming episodes on uh, Talking Golf Getaways, we did a uh, we recorded a live podcast at the Stewart Cabin with Ava and Joe and Darren and I, and that's really fun. Wow. Just sitting in the dining room table at the cabin and talking about our experience there. So we've got that coming up. Are you jealous yet? I'm incredibly jealous. <laughs> Unbelievable! That sounds like an amazing experience. God knows, I'd love to see what that must be like. Well, we will get Mitch, you there. One more. We'll grab a couple other. We'll grab a couple other peoples, and the four of us will stay at the Stewart Cabin. <laughs> Dude, you don't have to ask me twice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You let me know when I All can right. start packing my bags. Okay, man. <laughs> Mitch, one more before I let you go. And you, you talked about some beautiful experiences here, but as, as you know, and, and you mentioned a moment ago, and we've talked about this before, but you play Hickory Shafted Clubs exclusively now. But I, I'm interested mm-hmm. to know. If you feel an emotional connection when you're playing, and what I mean by that is when, when you're on some of the you know more historic golf courses, right? And one's built like in the late 1800s or the early part of the 1900s. Do you take a minute or do you allow your mind to wander to get a sense for what it must have been like for guys like, you know, Harry Varden, Willie Anderson, Walter Hagen, Ted Ray, Bobby Jones to play the game because you're out there, you're playing essentially the same equipment that they played down to the golf ball. And now you're playing on a golf course that they likely played or something very similar to what they played. Now you're really entrenched into the history part of the game. Do you feel that emotional connection probably more than other guys? I feel it literally every time I hit a shot. That's the only way I can put it. Um, and I don't, uh, the, the classic courses, I've been lucky enough to play a lot in Scotland and Ireland. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, classic courses in the states that i've been able to play uh but even if it's not a classic course even if i go out to a today uh that was built in the last three years i don't know we i mean i mentioned gil hans's stream song black course down in florida um and I, darren and i played it last week both of us with hickories and i still feel that way because no matter when the course was built uh, the connection to the history of the game is always with me because of the clubs I'm playing. So I don't care if it was built now. The history of the game that we all love is tied to the time when that's all that was played. I mean, the first clubs were long-nosed clubs, and then we moved into shorter clubs and irons and hickory shafts and all that. But uh, it is literally something that ties me to that part of the game every time I every time I take a swing and no matter whether it turns out well or badly, <laughs> I'm always connected to it. I, I, if you don't play them, uh, it's hard to explain that part of it. I was just literally, before I started talking to you, 
uh, online trying to buy a putter from the United Kingdom, uh, a James really? Braid putter. Yeah. And I'm online, I'm researching the club, this putter, when Braid made it, and and that to me. And then I go to Scotland and I play a course designed by James Braid. And, you know, those are the kind of connections to me at this point in my life when I'm not as interested in score and how far I hit it. That is what connects me to the game, for sure. Mitch, before we let you go, remind our listeners again how they can, you know, catch your podcast and uh, and stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or over social media. Well, I, I appreciate it all, Chris. I can't thank you enough for having me on again. I love talking to you. Um, the podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. If you're on a computer, you can listen to it on. If you go to the Golf News Net or GolfNewsNet.com, you'll find us. Um, Audio Boom, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes Podcasts. You can get hold of us. And there's a wealth. Like I said, there's 79 of them on there, but we're coming out with new ones. Um, starting, we started with the longest hole, and we've got a whole bunch coming up. Um, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Mitch Lawrence. It's L A U R A N C E. Uh, and also, you can follow Darren. He's got a ton of great stuff, and he's at Getaways Golf on Twitter and at Golf Getaways on Instagram. So those are the various ways, and we're always putting things up. And um, now that we got season two rolling, we'll be putting a lot of stuff about the, up about the podcasts that are coming up. Well, Mitch, you're fantastic. I, you know, I could go on talking to you all night long. Uh, I just love your stories, and I love the way in which you frame things up, and the images that you paint, and the and the great things that you've had an opportunity to do. I hope you'll come back and and share more of them with me before too long, because, like I say, it's a, it's always a huge thrill for me to get to, to have you as part of the show. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, I know we're kind of backslapping each other here, but I feel the same way about you. I think you do an unbelievable uh, job and you bring so much great information to people and uh, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely. I take care, Mitch. All the best to you and Eva and all the rest of your family. Again, thanks for being here. We look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Thanks. Likewise, pal. Talk to you. All right, before I get to my next guest, Brady Riggs, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, I want to remind you about our friends over at SyncIt.com. You know how we like to keep things positive here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach both in life and out on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering with the folks at SyncIt.com. Keep putting that positive thought of sinking the putt in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats. To win any golf tournament, right, you got to sink the final putt. And we all wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get better each and every day. Well, have the confidence to push forward towards your dreams with unwavering passion, and you're going to sink it in life. Check them out online at sinkit.com. And, folks, have you heard me talking about Clubhub sensors over the last couple of months? And if you haven't, please listen up and get ready to discover the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Clubhub uh, sensors tell you what happened and why. Take the progress that you're making on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Clubhub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips, and I can tell you, since I put the Clubhub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. But before you go out and buy your own set, our friends at Kinetic Sports have a special limited-time discount for our listeners. Go online to clubhubgolf.com and put in the code NEXT, that's N-E-X-T, in the coupon code, and you're going to get Clubhub sensors for a stellar low price, 10% off. 
Again, head to clubhubgolf.com. That's clubhubgolf.com to get your club hub sensors today and see your game in a whole new way. Also want to remind you about our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the golf on the golf course is essential. Whether you're you know you're playing on tour, you're playing in your club championship, or just a weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar, the golfer's nutritional bar, is going to help you with both. Again, energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Again, go online to order yours today by going to parbargolf.com. And, folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor Brady Riggs. Let me give you some more background on Brady. Played his college golf at San Jose State and California State University, Northridge. He was an AJGA All-American back in 1985 and a two-time letterman at Cal State Northridge in 1988 and 89. He has been named a Golf Magazine Top 100 Teacher in America every year since 2007. He was also recognized as a 2016 Southern California PGA Teacher of the Year. He's a senior golf editor for Golf Tips Magazine. He is also a Top 25 Futures Champion Golf Elite. Juniors coach, and if all of that isn't enough, he is the director of instruction at Woodley Lakes Golf Club in Van Nuys, California, and uh, we are honored that he is back with us again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Brady, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, pleasure to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me, buddy. So, Brady, first of all, congratulations. I noticed you were inducted into the California Teaching Hall of Fame. Talk about what it was like to be recognized like that by the PGA. Um, it was. It was equal parts uh very humbling and also disturbing that i'm this old that i can be in a hall of fame so that was very <laughs> frustrating but, and, but and cool brady you got inducted with another great friend of the show allison kurt uh she has been uh, a fantastic friend of the show over the last several years and uh um talk about what it was like going in because she went into the hall of fame alongside you yeah, it's, uh, it was very cool. Allison, I've helped her with her game the last five or six years, so that was really nice. Um, a couple other, you know, obviously we're a tight-knit group in Southern California, and to go in with Eddie Marins and Greg McCatton, a couple of guys that I really respect, Bill Harmon, that was very cool. So it was, it was a neat experience. And as you, as you mentioned, Brady, and, you know, last time I talked to Allison, she mentioned that, you know, when she feels like she needs a lesson or someone to take a look at her golf swing. She comes to you. Talk about what it's like working with and alongside Allison. She's a great student. You know, one thing about teachers generally is that they really like to learn. Um, so she asks great questions. She's an incredibly hard worker. She's a really good player and, you know, an excellent teacher. She's kind of like the, the dream student, you know, that you can have. And um, it, it's just amazing watching her progress over the years. She's, She's become a better player every year, and she's she's obviously a, an excellent teacher. So she's she's fun to have on the lesson team. So, Brady, I want to go back to your time at Cal State Northridge, and and one of the first things I got to know is Northridge has some very famous alumni, people like 
Paula Abdul and Richard Dreyfus, Helen Hunt, Keith Marin, Robert Englund, Eve Plum, Jan Brady, right? Larry Wilcox, Deborah Winger, boy, I could just go on and on. Andy Summer of the Police is an alumni as well. So when you've been around campus, have you had a celebrity run-in either when you're around the school or at an, uh, an alumni event? You know what? I haven't had that run-in, but I grew up in Hollywood as a kid, so that was sort of standard operating procedure in Hollywood. I went to school with um, with Cher's kid. I went to school with Elliot Gould's kid. So we it was just kind of one of those things in, in Hollywood growing up. You ended up hanging out a lot with people whose parents you saw on TV when you were in school. It was kind of fun. And Brady, I read that uh, you majored in kinesiology when you were there, which is the study of human and non-human movement. How how does that play into the way that you teach the golf swing? You know, I just sort of failed my way into that, to be honest, because I was a business <laughs> major, hated every minute of it, just couldn't stand it. And I was trying to figure out what I could get through school with. And so that seemed like a good idea. Sports, you know, study some of that. And it was it ended up being awesome because not only is it something I enjoyed studying, but um, it fit right in with with what I do every day, which is studying how the body moves and, and how people learn. So it, it ended up being perfect for me, even though it was completely accidental. And Brady, as you continue to refine and improve the way that you teach the game of golf, are, are there you know other instructors or people maybe in the field of kinesiology that you, that you look to for advice or new ideas or new movements or a different way to look at you know how we set up to the golf swing? Because when I look at a lot of your videos, some of the stuff is I think is uh, whether it's progressive or unconventional. It seems like you teach setup and how we're putting our weight distribution differently than I think the way we've always heard it should be. Hmm, that's very interesting. That's a good point. I think that um, I'm fortunate to have access to a lot of really great teachers through Golf Magazine. Um, Chris Como is a very good friend of mine. We've had some great discussions in the past. And, you know, I also am a student of every other sport, and I think that's really important. I still coach soccer to this day. Uh, I love that sport. I've, I've played sports my entire life. So just studying human movement across all the different disciplines and, and how athletes create speed and, and are on balance, it all translates back to golf. And I'm a big believer in momentum. So as where your body goes has a lot to do with where the arms are going to go and where the club's going to go and eventually where the ball's going to go. So it's a big focus of my teaching to make sure people are in balance and they're moving in the right sequence and in the right direction. And Brady, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of a lot of your videos and a lot of the ways that you teach different shots. And one of the things that I came across was, you know, chipping the ball closer to the hole. When we're just off the green, we got a lot of green to work with. And I know my son's teacher, you know, told him, you know, to do everything with a sand wedge. And you, I saw a video of you being a proponent of using an eight iron instead of that sandwich and even in the way that you hold and set up with that eight iron because a lot of times like i t like I mentioned a moment ago the way i've seen people teach it before if we're not going to use a sandwich is hands way forward weight way way on your left side and um that's not the way that i saw that you teach that shot do you mind sharing the tip for how we can get the ball closer to the hole and get more run by using an eight iron and what how you propose that we set up for that shot it's a great question, and I really appreciate that because I think the short game's so overlooked. And uh, one of the things that I've done over my time is I've tried to constantly get better, not only as a player but as a teacher. 
And so I don't teach short game the way that I learned it because I found a better way. And, you know, Paul Runyon was an early influence on me on, on my instruction and, and how to, you know, hit short shots around the green. I think James Siegman does a great job as well. And so I've sort of incorporated a lot of those ideas into starting to get people to use the bounce much better and not have the leading edge dig into the ground. I just think philosophically it makes sense to learn one stroke around the greens and be able to use various clubs to create different runouts rather than using the same club and having to learn 10 different ways to hit that club. I think that's a very difficult way to go. And I think it's really interesting because the full swing and the short game, they sort of interact in a, in a weird way in that a really good player is able to get some Ford Chaplin, go ball turf, you know, create the, the, the beautiful ball turf contact and, and, you know, the feeling of compression, even though we know the ball doesn't squeeze against the ground, but there's sort of a sensation there that's very, you know, real and it works a lot for great players. And the average player really struggles with that. They have a difficult time going ball turf. They end up picking a lot of shots off the ground. But ironically, you see a lot of really good players that end up with chippy ups where they're sticking the leading edge too much into the ground and they're de-lofting too much. And, the, and as you said, the shaft's leaning too far forward. And it makes it very, very hard to make good contact for a lot of amateurs that are, you know, bogey golfers chip pretty well because they are a little scoopy. And so it's interesting that we're trying to get the amateurs when they're hitting a full shot to look more like the professionals. But when a professional or a really good player is struggling with chip yips, we're trying to make them look more like amateurs. And sticking on the idea of the short game, Brady, and, you know, we're, we talk an awful lot on this show about the short game because I just believe that's the area that most of us need the most help with. If, you know, if you can play from, you know, 50 to 100 yards in, you're going to take so many strokes, you know, off your score. So as you back up a little bit farther, right, off of the green, 30 to 50 yards, how do we do a better job of getting the ball close to the hole in the 30 to 50 yard range? You know, we first we try and get my students to, to use various clubs to see which one they're more effective at landing the ball on their number. So rather than trying to, you know, figure out how much it's rolling, first things first, let's see if you can fly it to a certain yardage and which club works the best for you. Sometimes 30 yards is really easy with a 54 degree or with a gap wedge for people and much easier to use than their most lofted wedge. So getting them to just try different clubs first so that they can land the ball where they'd like to is a, is a great place to begin because if you can't do that, it doesn't matter if you're creating spin or not creating spin. If you can't land it where you want, you've got major problems. And then we try to eliminate variables there. So I don't like my players to use a lot of hinge around the greens because it's something that makes the contact a little more inconsistent. So we have them use their arms more, feeling like a big chipping motion. So we use a little less loft and have their arms going back and forth and they use the loft of the club. And a lot of times they don't have to use their most lofted wedge or even their second most lofted wedge. They're using the gap wedge and the pitching wedge more often. Interesting, because, you know, I think that's, you know, another thing that might be a little you know less conventional or more unconventional than what other people are doing, because I've, I've not heard somebody talk about 
using less loft and trying to figure out, you know, the flight of the ball. So, you know, like you, you get into that 50 yard range, you know, it's, it's, I, I hear more people talk about cutting down on the swing. Maybe you're only swinging nine o'clock to three o'clock, you know, with your sand wedge versus taking a three quarters or a full swing. But you're talking about actually using less loft and figure, is, is it different from player to player? Is it, do we have preferences or do you have, or do you have a preference that says, Hey, you know, in this situation, I see kids or, you know, people be more successful when they're using a gap wedge or, you know, some other lower lofted club than I do see they, seeing them hit a, you know, a 60 degree or a 56 degree. Well, it's a great question. I think most amateurs are horrified when they've got to hit a lob wedge 50 yards. That is terrifying for them. So a lot of players are way more successful using less loft, using less wrist hinge, skipping the bounce of the club off the grass, and the ball comes out pretty soft that way anyway. Now, a better player, it needs options. So if the ball's sitting down, let's say, that's a time where they're going to need to use a more lofted wedge, hit more down on it to, to get the ball out of a lie that may not be great. But if it's sitting nicely and you have multiple options, it's a great thing for you because now you could hit a, a softer shot with you know, more spin out of a bad lie if you need to. But if you've got more green to work with and you can control that number that you're carrying that wedge to, you might use, we always say 50 from 50 is a good club because it's, it's, it's not a huge swing. It's basically a dead wristed swing, arms only, very easy to hit solid, comes out really soft anyway. On most golf courses, it's a great weapon. And I think a lot of people would be shocked how good they would be if they'd learn how to use less loft and less wrist hinge from those intermediate wedge distances. They'd have a lot more fun hitting them and they'd be more successful. And Brady, one of the other videos that I really like that you put together is on the putting grip and how we should be trying to get, you know, the palms of our hands as close as, as we can to, to one another. Take us through, what's your tip for how to have a better putting grip? You know, I, I think a lot of people struggle because you know, when you grip a club normally, your right hand, if you're right-handed, it grips down lower than the left, and that makes your shoulders a little uneven. And when your shoulders are a little uneven, your head tends to move backwards away from the target as you're making contact. And when you're doing that, it's hard to hit the ball solid on the middle of the face. You tend to hit a lot of putts thin. And when your head's going back away from the hole, it tends to drive the heel of the putter towards the hole and leaves the face open. So by putting the palms on the club a little more even with each other so that the thumbs are nearly at the same height, you take away the shoulder imbalance, the shoulders are more level at address, and now the stroke performs much better. It's more neutral. The head can be more stable. And man, if there's one thing you see across the board with really good putters, it's that their head's really steady through impact. I mean, Tiger Woods, if you look at video when he was in his prime, it's just shocking how quiet his head was. So I think that's something that a lot of people can benefit from that struggle making good contact with, with their putts because their setup is just making it difficult to, to achieve that contact. And Brady, one of the other areas that you talk about, and it's a place that I struggle with, is, is uh, being really good at reading the greens, trying to figure out how much the ball is going to break. And you have a wonderful tip on being two ball bound, if you will. Talk about what that means. You know, in every other sport that we play, we're so target aware, whether you're throwing darts or shooting a basket, you know, a free throw or you name it, we're very conscious of the target. But in golf, we stare at the ball. You know, we're so focused on the ball. We're worried about the mechanics of the stroke. 
and you know what we see in performance from people all the time is that the more their eyes are on the target when they're putting in their routine and their practice strokes even their last look at the hole if that takes much more of the time by percentage than the time that your eyes are spent actually looking at the ball you're connected to the target much better so you're taking pictures in your mind all the time of where that hole is what the grass looks like around it how far away it is and you can forget that pretty quickly if your eyes are stuck on the ball. So by looking at the hole significantly more than you look at the ball during your routine, your practice strokes, and all the way just before you hit the putt, it's amazing how much better the distance control gets. And you're able to kind of visualize the line that the ball needs to take to go into the hole. And so it helps you aim better and it helps you feel the break much better and match up that speed and line, which is such a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, so many of the golf balls nowadays have the line, you know, on them. And, uh, you know, that's great for, you know, when you've got a short putt. Not so great when you've got a 40-foot putt. Talk about why that is. It's a great point, Chris. So, you know, with the guy, the guy I've been on tour with for a long time, Brandon Hague, who's been a student of mine for a long time, he'll use the line on putts that are not outside the hole. So... Uh, if it's if the putt is starting inside the hole at the edge or, or closer to the middle, then he'll use the line. Otherwise, he feels like it just sort of messes up his visual of, of where he's trying to go. It's just another thing that gets you stuck on the ball. And I know people are sort of infatuated and they take all day to line the line up. And it's a whole process they go through. And there's nothing wrong with doing that on some shorter putts if it gives you confidence in your alignment. But it can take away your feel for where the hole actually is if you're stuck too much on the ball. People tend to putt better with lag putts when they're not focused on the ball as much. So a lot of times we'll have them take that away and just have them look down at the white of the ball rather than the line pointing where they need to go, and they'll have a better kind of connection to the hole from setup to, to contact. Brady, just a couple more before we let you go. And you recently tweeted out, a tip on how to correct our slice. Talk us through how we can keep the ball in the fairway off the tee. You know, the slice is, is the money maker for us teaching professionals. We love that thing. Um, <laughs> how the mortgage is paid every month because people just do not understand. You know, the ball's going right, so they need to swing more left. You know, so they're going to aim more left, and they'll swing more left, and, of course, it makes it go more right. And it's just the basic idea that they don't understand the relationship between the face of the club and the path of the club as the as impact is happening. So we always try and get people to understand that the ball will curve away from where the path is going. So if you're swinging way left and the ball is curving to the right, the solution is not to swing further left, but to swing more right. And we know that the face has a huge influence over that. So what I always tell people, the basics about carrying a slice is first make sure the grip is not too weak. Make sure you can look at the back of your left hand when you look down on it, that your left thumb is not on the top of the club, but it's a little towards the right of the top of the club if you're a right-handed player, so that your hands are on there in a much more neutral place or even a little stronger place. And then from there, it's just like if you've ever kicked a ball, you're trying to hit the inside back portion of the ball. You're trying to get it to have an in-swinging corner or you know, you're trying to hit it to the right of the pitcher in baseball. Any of those thoughts are really helpful to help you create the path that you need, which is a path right of where the face is at impact. And if you do that, the draw goes away pretty fast. And people often just don't understand what they're trying to do, and that's why they struggle with it. And if you can get them holding it good 
and swinging a little right, the, the slice goes away awfully quickly. It's the easiest thing to fix, and it's the most common problem. So, Brady, before we let you go, what's up next for you? What Do you have some events coming up, or how can our uh, our folks catch up with you? Um, next for me, I'm, I'm out on tour about once a month. I'm also coaching at uh, UC Irvine, where my daughter's a golfer, at uh, UC Irvine in Southern California, which is a lot of fun. I'm on I do my live blog for Golf Magazine on Facebook all the time, which is, is great. People sending questions and we answer them live, which is awesome. Um, I'm on Instagram at Red Goat, which is a little white now as I've gotten older, but it's at Red Goat. And then at Brady Riggs on Twitter. And uh, life is great, man. Just teaching a lot of golf and teaching some soccer and, and loving every minute of it. Good for you. Well, Brady, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to come back and, and be a part of the show. It's It's been great having you. I hope you'll come back and do it again sometime, share more of your, your stories and insights and your tips with us because you're fantastic. Thank you, Chris. I'd love to come anytime. Thanks again for having me. All right. Take care, Brady. All the best to you and your family. You too. That is Brady Riggs, and it's R-I-G-G-S, and uh, you look him up on YouTube or look him up online, um, the videos that he has – out there available for you for you to take a look at and I, you know, I went through probably a dozen of them and they're absolutely spot on and I love the way like I said when he when we were talking I love the way that he has got, kind of gone non-conventional a little bit taking some of the ways that we've always you know sort of been taught whether it's the chip shot or you know other shots are you know, around the green and he's got come back and said you know what this is a better way just like he, he pointed out a little bit ago it's a better way and I, you know like I said you know my son's a junior golfer and in uh, his his instructor taught him to no matter what the shot is around the green if you're chipping up he's, everything was with the sand wedge and and it sort of made me scratch my head and I love the fact that Brady's saying no you know the eight iron is a is a much better choice a club to get that ball to run out and it's going to get you a better result you know more often than not so he, like I say check him out on YouTube check him out online a lot of really great videos there for uh, for everything that could be going wrong with your game and I love his approach not just like I say that he's you know maybe a little unconventional in what he's talking about I just just love you know the demeanor that he, he he talks about it the you know the the enthusiasm in his voice and the way that he presents the information it's all fantastic stuff so look forward to getting brady back on the show hopefully again real soon all right folks before we close up shop you know we always like to go out with a reminder about our good friend and pga tour pro jim estes and the great folks over at the salute military golf association let's hear another reminder about all the great stuff they're doing from jim The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, they're doing some amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Please, to find out more information, to see how you can get involved, go to SMGA. 
www.bradleyputterandbradleyputter.org. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Bradley Putter Company. Over the last year, you've heard me talking about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company. They were just from concept last year on Black Friday to one of the sensations at the PGA Merchandise Show in January. Well, I got mine, and folks, it's a beauty. We are proud to be partnering with Bradley to help promote their unique line of putters made from burl wood, and these are not ornamental putters, folks. People are raving about the look and the feel that the Bradley putters have, and you know they're custom-made in the shape and the color that you like. Mine is black and yellow to support my Pittsburgh teams. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this line of putters really is. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks to Mitch Lawrence and to Brady Riggs for joining me tonight. I hope you enjoyed the show as well. Please give me your thoughts. Check us out on, on our Facebook page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback there. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our future guests or one of our previous guests that have been on the show, please let us know. Put a comment in there. Let us know. We'll be glad to get that, uh, get that question answered for you. Please also check us out online at nextonthetee.net. On there you can see who some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, uh, you can stream or download any of our archive episodes from there as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe LaGenusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, as well, you can find it as a, a podcast on great sites like iHeartRadio and our fantastic partners over on Podbean. And folks, if you love streaming podcasts, check out podbean.com or download the Podbean app. They've got great podcasts across all genres on there. Over on Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days, plus giving us their insights into today's game as well. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show online by going to thursdaynighttailgate.com. Folks, thank you for taking time to, to check out Next on the Tee this week and being a part of the show. We can't thank you enough for your support. We really appreciate you guys the very most. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors... And media members go to tell their stories. Join us same time every...